Weren't the kids great? Awesome. So they gave us a great story about Joseph. And as we continue today, we're going to be going through just what that means. Um, I'm especially excited about how these kids can continue to just understand more in-depthly what the story about Joseph means, more than just that he was one of the youngest brothers, but that God was using him significantly, even through events that we might not want to go through. And so today we're going to be talking about a couple things, and it's center in our life because it's about pride. Anybody deal with pride? So there's all, all you guys are humble then. So we all deal with pride, but we're going to learn a little bit more about what God calls humility. And we heard from the CNK kids how Joseph wrestled with that, that he really wanted to be the center of the universe because God had given him a special gift of dream, being able to interpret dreams. So he was important. And not only that, but his father saw him as important. So he put a special code on him. He made sure that he was um, well-loved and put in prominence in his family. And Joseph really kind of soaked it all in. And what we see as he hit each trial, as he interpreted each dream, is that he continued to get a little less prideful and a little more humble. But that's what pride does to us, is that it pushes us to make decisions about us. And it doesn't help us to become humble so that God can do anything that he wants with us. So what pride says is that prayer is useless. I'm sure you've heard that before from people. Pride or that prayer, I don't know if I believe in prayer because I don't think that prayer really does that much. And that's usually because you think, I don't need someone else to interfere with what I'm doing. Pride also says that God probably needs to help other people more than me. So I don't need to ask him because other people have more problems than I do. Pride also says, I really can't forgive that. Or I can't ask forgiveness for that. How many of you have been there? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> so I just want to just get us all aware of where we're at right now. Pride says, I can do life on my own. I don't need anybody else. I can do it on my own. I can pull myself up with my own bootstraps and I can get this done. That's what pride does. And this, is, this thinking is not new. This thinking started long ago. In fact, it started with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord warned Adam and Eve about pride. He said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Or in other words, completely depend upon me for your moral decisions. But that's not how we think about things, right? 
We have our own opinions. Well, the Bible may say that, but that doesn't mean it means anything to me, right? Or the Bible says that for some people, but not necessarily for me. Or, you know, the Bible, it's just a messed up book. So I'm not going to use that. I won't use God's word to lead my life. I'm going to lead my own life. Adam and Eve did the same thing. They rebelled. And they ate of the fruit, of the fruit because they wanted to know good and evil. They wanted to make their own moral decisions. Not rely on God, but make their own decisions. And so they ate of the fruit, and then they suddenly found that they were pushed, and a distance was made between them and God. And we fall in that same trap, day in and day out. We allow pride to come in, and we think we've got it together. We think we know the right thing. But instead, we just move further and further away from God. We say, well, I'm not going to pray because I need to get this done on my own. God expects me to do this on my own. Or I'm not going to ask for someone else to help me because they may see me as weak. Or I can't forgive that person because what they did was just unforgivable. Or I can't ask for forgiveness because they'll think I'm horrible. For us to be used by God just like Joseph, we have to let our pride slip away. And so Joseph went on a very long journey so that he could learn how to depend on God and not on his special gift of interpreting dreams. Not on his prized possession as his father's most loved son. To not depend on that he'd been adorned with a coat or put in a position of power. But to say, finally, it's not me, it's God. So when we look at dependence of God or learning dependence on God, the journey for Joseph included being sold into slavery by his brothers. We saw that in the play falsely accused by a woman and he had to run out naked. That would cause a little humility, I think. He had a life in prison and he tried to make the best of it because he didn't think he was going to get out. And he was being called by Pharaoh then finally, and this is the last part that finally God brought him to a spot where Joseph realized it's not him, but it's, not, it's God. He's not the center, but God is the center. So each of those responses show that he continues to rely less on his gift and more on God. And we see this when he responds to Pharaoh after Pharaoh asks him to interpret a dream in Genesis 41, verse 16. If you guys haven't read the book of Genesis... It's the first book in the Bible. I wasn't being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> it's the first book of the Bible, and it is jam-packed with great, great stories. It's not boring. Now, you might get later into some other ones, 
like Leviticus, and it may get a little dry, but God's in there even. But go into Genesis, and you're going to see these great stories of God working in individuals, patience with individuals, calling individuals into his family. So he says in Genesis 41, this is Joseph, it is beyond my power to do this. He's replying to Pharaoh. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. All the other times he would say, I can interpret your dream. Or God will interpret your dream through me. But finally he says, I have no power. But God does. And he'll tell you what it means. What I love about Joseph is that he didn't do this perfectly. Joseph didn't just receive a gift from the Lord and then go out and exercise it perfectly. It took him over 15 years for God to get him ready to actually do what he wanted him to do. And it was a simple thing, and we're going to get that in just a few seconds, but it was a very simple thing. I don't believe it was as big as we see it. It wasn't about him becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt. It was smaller than that. But it took a long time for God to get him there because he was stubborn. And I know you all aren't stubborn people. I know that you just are humble people coming to service today with no pride in your hearts. But what I love about the story of Joseph is that God saw the pride in Joseph's heart and he still loved Joseph. No matter what situation he put him in, he gave these words to Joseph. He said, the Lord was with him. When he was in prison, Scripture says, the Lord was with him. When he is falsely accused, running out naked, the Lord was with him. No matter what was happening to Joseph, that we would see as, oh, that's horrible. It gets reinforced with the Lord is with him. So when you find yourself in what seems like an unfavorable place, I want, I want you to remember these words, that the Lord is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you. So when you are alone with no family, you feel like no one knows you. Your heart is broken and you feel like no one cares about you. The Lord, your God, is with you. When you are falsely accused and maybe lose your job, and you think everyone is against you, and you're standing alone, the Lord stands beside you and says, I am with you. When you are stuck and you have no apparent way to get out, and you think there's no way out, the Lord stands at an open door and says, I am with you. When you are forgotten by broken promises, much like Joseph was with his brothers, the Lord says, I'm with you, 
and that promise will never be broken. The actions of people or circumstances that surround you have no effect on whether or not the Lord, your God, is with you. Did you get that? The actions of people or the circumstances that surround you have no effect on whether or not the Lord is with you. We often find ourselves in a bad situation and we go, where's God? So where is he? Gosh, you guys are fast learners. It's, it's, I don't even need to be up here. I can just close this down. You're hoping, but we still got some stuff to go through. So just wait. Jesus was the one who actually did this perfectly. Joseph never did accomplish perfection in humility, but he shows us a way to go. Release your pride, and eventually the Lord becomes the center of your universe. And then all of a sudden, his authority and power is exercised through you. Jesus did that from the beginning. And in fact, Paul, the apostle, would write in Philippians to the Philippian church, exactly how Jesus did this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has one purpose. Does anyone know what that purpose is? Just shout it out if you think you know what it is. To save many lives. What is God's one purpose? It's the reason why he sent his son. It's the reason why his son died. It's the reason why his son rose again. It's so that many lives would be saved. We see this happen in the story of Joseph as well. Genesis 50, chapter, or chapter 50, verses 18 and 20. This is after his brothers thought that they were going to be thrown into prison, made slaves lose any kind of life because they just recognized that their brother who they had betrayed was in charge. And their response, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied with all humility, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. This has been God's purpose from the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve rebelled and said, we want to make our own decisions. We don't want to follow you. We want to do our own thing. God has been about trying to save the lives of people. He does this so that we can represent him once we're saved. And we learn how to represent him from the prophet Micah. This is verse 8 in chapter 6. It says, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. 
And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As we're in Advent, humility should be a word that we receive. It is a way of Jesus that we follow. And so as we look for that star, as we look for Jesus to be born, we walk humbly as we love people with mercy and we do what is right. And once you understand that it's because he has called you into his family, he's identified you as a son or daughter of God. Because you're part of that family, because we're God's family, he gives us a job to represent him. Because with relationship comes representation. So he's our father. But as we understand that God is our father, a loving father, a daddy in heaven who does actually know your name. We also then see him that he's a king. And as a king, he bestows his authority upon us as his people, as his children, as his heirs. And with that authority comes a great power. Now, what is the greatest power from God? Save us. Love, grace. The greatest power from God is forgiveness. Say it. Now, I wonder if you're going to do it. That means the person that you have been really, really teed off at right now, will you forgive them? That person that you hurt yesterday, will you ask for forgiveness? You know, when you're in a line and the clerk is mean to you, and you've been waiting there for a long time, Are you willing to ask that clerk to forgive you? I wonder what would happen if we were people who did what was right and we loved mercy and we walked humbly with the Lord. I believe great things would happen. We see an example of Joseph forgiving, using this greatest power from the Lord. When his brothers didn't necessarily re should receive forgiveness because they did an awful thing, he steps aside and he forgives his brothers. And he welcomes them back into the family. We see the same thing happen with Jesus and us. As Jesus went to the cross, he had no friends. No one was for him. And yet he turned and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He demonstrated the greatest power that there is. And I will tell you, if you haven't experienced it, I think, have you forgiven someone before? Like really, not like sarcastically, but really? You experience something, right? Inside. When you ask forgiveness, do you experience something inside of you? That's God's power. And I don't care if you do it in the name of Jesus or someone else, God exercises his power of forgiveness because when our hearts are humble and we're willing to say, 
Let's do what is right, what is just, what is merciful. Let's do this because we're a part of the family. This is how his people act. This is what our kids do. We are people who walk humbly with the Lord, and we forgive, and we seek forgiveness. When this happens, it leads us towards dependence on God and actually leads us back into his family where we have a special place to sit at his table. This family doesn't go away or leave. It doesn't leave you high and dry. This family sticks with you for now, in the now, and also in the not yet. Today we're experiencing a great celebration. But this is just a small taste of what God has planned for his family in the not yet. One day when Christ comes again, and this is what we celebrate in Advent, is the coming of Jesus. He has made a promise that he will gather everyone who knows him by name. He'll gather the small children and everyone else to the oldest person who's called his name, to all those who have died, and even those who knew him and have been forgotten by us. He will gather them into his family, and they will have a party that does not end. I'm not a big partier. I actually get kind of tired. However, we know in this great party, he gives you energy that does not cease. And we will celebrate and celebrate forever. And that's what we believe in. We believe in the power of forgiveness that allows the door of heaven to be open to us. And that's what we also learned from the story of Joseph. Is that God prepared him for a long time to save the lives of people. And I think also to have a heart that would be, that would be willing to forgive his brothers. May we be a people who allow our hearts to be changed so that we can forgive the unforgivable and to walk in the ways of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to experience the story of Joseph. May it not be a story that just comes and goes, but may you affect our hearts. May we think about how we exercise that power. May we remember where the authority comes from. And may we also let our identity be secured in you as our Father, because it all starts there, Lord. May we understand that you love us, that you know us by name, and that you, as our God, as our King, but mostly as our Father, stands by our side when no one else will. In your name we pray. Amen.